Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Yes. You normally have something to follow that up with that I can react to, not just welcome. I know, but I feel, felt like just throwing it to you <laughs> since, you know, you're in one of those moods today. I can't explain it. I had an adult beverage with dinner. And we are not going... <clears throat> We are not going to discuss what you what you are imbibing in, because nobody cares. Well, nobody cares, but I'm also <clears throat> not currently imbibing. Well, there's that, too. See? Anyway. So, before we get to Formula One, this was the final weekend for IndyCar and the Indy Light Series and all of the feeder series up to IndyCar. So, who do we have to offer congratulations to? Well, I, I honestly, I... I don't know about the the replacement to the Pro Mazda series. We didn't look at them. We're not well, following anybody in that series anymore. We're done with it. F two thousand, yeah, we didn't look at that either. We're, yeah, you guys, sorry, got to work harder, do better. I can assure you, drive faster. That Fat Boy Racing did not win the replacement to the Pro Mazda series. No, he did not. Actually, I think it's oh, it's it's Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires. That's yes. it. Um, I can assure you that Fatboy did not win that one. No, he didn't. And we didn't look it up. You guys just, you need to drive faster this year. Do better. We'll talk. I'm sure some of them are going to make it into Indy Lights next year. Maybe then we'll talk about them. Maybe then. (laughs) Because our favorite, not Indy car driver, but rising star. Indy Lights driver. Robert McGinnis, so it was the end of the season, uh, got a podium over at Laguna Seca in at least one of the two races. Apparently he had a really good pass that got him that podium. He did. Um, But he finished the 2019 season in fifth. Congratulations. Um, His teammate, Oliver Askew, came in first, followed by Renus VK. Wow. Renus is still driving for Yunkos, but driving for the... The Yunkos Indy Lights team, as opposed to the Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires series. Well, very, very good. Now, Robert and Oliver have been teammates prior. Yeah. And have competed. So, Robert has beaten Oliver in the past. So, it's always going to be interesting to see what happens next year. Well, the past that you mentioned was him actually passing Oliver. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oliver, I think, only finished like fifth or sixth in uh, the Laguna Seca run uh, race, too. At least in the second one. I, I don't have it up for the first. Um, but that's all he needed to clinch it. Right. So. Um, also, because it was the, the end of all of the IndyCar series, um, it was the end of the actual IndyCar series, and uh, Joseph Newgarden won the, the driver's title this year. Do you happen to have the standings to know where our favorite driver ended the season? No, you can look that up. Well, I could, but... I mean, you are supposed to be the person who's supposed to be handling all the IndyCar stuff. That was your role. We designated this, what, last year or the year before? So long ago, I obviously don't remember. And blew it off. (laughs) Well, okay, so I upgraded this phone. And and, And that matters why. Cause, I cause can't your new get into half my apps anymore. Because your new upgraded phone doesn't access the internets? <laughs> it accesses the internets, but I can't get into my IndyCar app anymore. Okay. All right. I will look it up and report back. Don't worry about me. I'm just going to interrupt the podcast later 
to report back on how Alexander Rossi did in the season. You were going to interrupt the podcast anyway, so I believe he, he was third behind Simon Pagino, but I'm only guessing. I could be wrong. It is entirely possible. So, over to Formula One. So there's been a lot of talk about the potential changes. So I was right third. It looks like that. Um, It says rank three. I'm trying to figure out their site's weird. Okay. But yeah, it looks like he finished third for the series. But so Formula One is is uh, been talking about potential changes for the 2020 season. One of the things that has been floating around quite a bit is possibly going to reverse grids. Because, as we have discussed countless times in previous episodes, the one thing that everyone agrees on that works in Formula One is their knockout qualifying process. No one, absolutely no one, has been complaining about qualifying. So we keep trying to mess with qualifying. They're, they're looking... Yeah, I... Well... What they're talking about is potentially maybe reverse grid qualifying races. So you replace the... And and again, I don't think this is the right idea. But they're talking about replacing the knockout qualifying with a sprint race. Similar to what some of the the junior series do with their feature races. The, The sprint race, and that would be a reverse grid... And depending on the standings of that race would set the, the starting grid for Sunday. I, I don't see a great reason for this. The only reason that they could possibly want to do reverse grids is so that they can try to artificially force more passing as the better drivers have to come up yeah. through the entire... Well, that that's the idea grid. is... By putting the better drivers, putting the faster drivers deeper in the grid, you're minimizing the possibility of them running away at the front of the the pack from the start and just leading the race start to finish and potentially creating... Because, okay, thinking about the race today Mm -hmm. in Singapore, there was a ton of action in that mid-pack. Oh, yeah. Probably the most action we have seen at a Singapore race in years because of all the fighting that was going on at the mid-pack. And that's this idea of trying to get your your drivers, especially your faster drivers, into the middle of of the mid-pack and making the mid-pack more relevant. And making your, to some extent, making your back markers more relevant, too. I understand the theory. The problem is, this is one of those cases where you, you're trying to listen to the fans and what they're saying they want, and what they really want is actually something different. We love when our, when our driver is sitting in pole position, mm-hmm. when our driver gets off the line beautifully and storms away with the race and puts five seconds between him and the nearest car. We love that. Every Formula One fan actually really likes that when it's their driver. When it's not their driver, 
That's when they're like, oh, well, they ran away with the race. I want more fighting in the mid-pack. I want to see more of the passing and more of following closely and taking the race to well, to the I, wheeled wheel. That's what they want. I, I think it's, an, and, and we'll talk because we've got some comments from uh, Lewis and Seb on this and, and their, their thoughts. Um, <clears throat> yes, that is exactly what we want to see. But I think every Formula One fan also will turn around and say that, you know, we kind of like it when there's a degree of unpredictability. Mm-hmm. When we're not coming in every week and, and, and going, yeah, there's probably a 90% chance that it's going to be a Mercedes that's going to win. Probably a 90% chance there's going to be a Ferrari that's going to win. We want to see battles, even, even between the Mercedes and the Ferraris, we want to see battles that we're getting denied. And the reality is everybody knows why it's not happening. We know what the problem is. The fix is difficult. The well, problem is that the cars, for, for, for one, the, the big issue is that cars cannot follow close together. And the speed differential that's needed, while yes, it's better this year than it has been in previous year, the speed differential that's needed on a lot of these tracks for a car to pass another car is unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And you're 100% right. It's about the arrow. It's about mm-hmm. following closely in dirty air and how these cars handle dirty air. That is the actual problem. Mm-hmm. We are artificially trying to create solutions that don't actually deal with the problem. Well, to try to overcome try- it. They're, they're trying to come up with solutions that are easier than saying, you can't put wings here, you can't put wings here, the air has to move in this way over this, but it, it's hard to come up with those solutions. They're probably the most effective solutions, but it's hard to come up with those solutions. So they're looking for other ways that they can, they're looking for an easy way out. Well, they is are. What it is. But let's just think about this for a second. Let's pretend we reverse the grid. Mm-hmm. Let's pretend we reverse the grid that we had today at Singapore. Mm-hmm. So Leclerc is all the way in the back. You have Hamilton next to him in the back. He's right behind Verstappen, who is next to Vettel, going back. Okay? Mm-hmm. In the very front row, you have two very slow Williams cars. Mm-hmm. Okay. What you get is exactly what we had after the first round of pit stops. Exactly. You get slow cars holding up big cars, the big teams. Fast cars. Fast cars. cars. You get that happening. But what you also get are unsatisfactory passes. Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, I love seeing Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull fighting it out. I love seeing a scrappy Lando Norris try to fight it out with a Red Bull. Are you going to tell me but, that watching Sebastian Vettel pass Antonio Giovinazzi didn't get you excited? Not in the slightest. <laughs> it didn't even get me slightly bothered. You know, watching Sebastian Vettel struggle to pass Nico Hulkenberg was slightly interesting. Slightly. But 
passing a Williams? No. <laughs> and that's what's going to happen. We're all going to make that giant yawn that you just made <laughs> as we go, oh, let's watch the grid reformulate itself into the order it's supposed to be because I'm sorry, George Russell is adorable and in the bathtub, <laughs> quite cute. However, you'll have to go check Twitter. However, Twitter feed. I'm thinking watching him struggle to try to stay in front of a Lewis Hamilton when it's not that battle isn't going to give me exciting racing in the mid pack. Okay, but the way the grid would work, and, and this is where it could potentially, yeah, it's, it's going to plunge it further back. But that grid, if, if we went by qualifying yesterday, Verstappen would be in front of Vettel, who would be in front of Ham- Hamilton. Well, Botus, no, it was Botus, Verstappen, Vettel, Hamilton, Leclerc. Correct. Which means Vettel would, the first person that Vettel would have to fight would be Max Verstappen. Lewis, the first person he'd have to fight would be Sebastian Vettel and Leclerc the same way. Mm-hmm. So potentially, yes, they're at the back, but you're, you're, you're saying your faster drivers are going to have to fight with each other first. You're forcing a fight between them. Yeah, and you're just going to cause a mess. Possibly. I mean, it, again, it, there, it, it's looking for a shortcut to a hard solution. Right. So what Lewis had to say. Oh, wait. And what's going to stop everybody from constantly changing their engines so they get 20 grid place penalties? We're not there yet. So they can go to the front of the line. We're not there yet. Okay. So, Lewis. Mm -hmm. When he was asked his opinion, I don't really know what to say. The people that propose that don't really know what they're talking about. So that's Lewis's position. Now, Vettel, you know, he's known to be expressing himself. Uh... Fairly strongly. With four-letter words. Or longer. So he said, it's complete. Starts with B, ends with T. Figure out the words in the middle, the letters in the middle there, because we want to keep our clean writing. So Ends with T? Yes. More than four letters. Oh. There you go. Two words... Well, no. The, it's, or one it's word one, together, two syllables. Yeah. Nikki Lauda's famous phrase. That too. Okay. I'm like, I'm thinking five letters that ends with H, and I'm like, how does huh? that end with a T? I didn't say H. No, you didn't. But I'm trying to make a, I'm trying to make that word end in a T, and that didn't work. Okay. So apparently, we need to go back to childhood cuss words for a hundred, Alex. He he says it's complete something. Um, he says. I think we know that if we want to improve things, it is very clear we need to string the field more together. We need to have better racing. This is just a plaster. I don't know which genius came up with it, but it is not the solution. It is completely the wrong approach. Well, that's good because it's very rare I agree with Vettel, and I do. And even Charles Leclerc, he said, I would not be happy. I'm a lot happier to start first tomorrow, but I don't think it is the solution for Formula One. The best solution, the best should win and start in the best place and not reverse that order. I don't think it is the solution. 
I, I just mean, think you'd have people sandbagging. It, it, it depends on how they do that race. And actually, you can't have somebody sandbag for it. Why? Because again, what they're talking is this would be for a feature, not for the actual grid itself. This would be for a feature race that would replace qualifying, and the grid would be set based on your season standings. So you can't sandbag that. No. Okay. No, you can't. I was thinking that you could sandbag it by finishing poorly and qualifying. Right. They take your season standings and set you up backwards. Right. And the hope would be that the race would be of such a length that while it would mix up the grid, it would be extremely difficult for your, your season points leader in a driver's championship to be able to make up enough spaces to consistently hit, get pole at the end of that and win that race. So they'd still have to fight their way through some degree of the grid. Again, they're looking for an easy solution to, to something that is, that, that's not the way to address it. Yeah. It doesn't fix the actual root cause of the problem. It does not. So, other things that are being discussed. Once again, we find ourselves in a situation where fans and teams and drivers don't really like the penalties around uh, having to replace engine parts and things of that nature. Remember a couple of years ago when McLaren was in their first year with Honda and they were racking up so many penalties that... In theory, their drivers would have been starting two races earlier. Yeah. Because they, they would have been. I think they started the like, Austrian Grand Prix in Barcelona. Yeah. With like 50 position penalties. It, I mean, it, it's ridiculous. So they went away and they said, you know, the way we'll, we'll rephase, we'll rethink this is that if you're getting grid panels, penalties because of engine part, engine replacements and engine part replacements, you go to the back of the grid. And how far back you are depends on what rank you were in terms of when you announced that you needed to make a replacement. So if Team A made it announced that they needed to go and change a gearbox on Friday and before free practice one, but Team B turned around and said that they needed to go and replace their MGUK at the end of free practice two, that meant that the the team that that and the team B was further back on the grid because they announced it closer to the start of the, the the race. Even that's still causing a bit of confusion and frustration. So they're still trying to rethink how to make this work. So what Renault is saying is make it outright time penalties. They don't want to do with any kind of drops, anything like that. It is, if you need to do this stuff, you get a time penalty. And it's a time penalty that it's applied during the race. So even if you're sitting on pole, you know that you've got to somehow find a way to pick up 5, 10, 15 seconds in the race in order to still finish, to, to hold your starting position. That, that's what Renault's pushing. Okay. Again, I'm not sure it makes it any less complicated. No, but it keeps the grid as established for qualifying. Yeah. Which is one thing I kind of like about the plan. 
Yeah. Um, it allows a Ricardo to start in fifth, where he qualified. And it also, it gives you an incentive, because this is the one thing, and, and we've seen this a couple of times, is <clears throat> if a team, especially a leading team, gets to a point where they need to go and incur one of these penalties, it's going to shoot them all the way to the back of the grid, and it's going to do it before qualifying even starts. There is that conversation of, well, why bother running and qualifying in the first place? Save the tires. Why, why fight your way all the way through? You know, do a couple of sighting laps, you know, Make sure everybody, everything is running the way you think it is, but save the mileage, save the tires, save everything, and just park it. Mm-hmm. Don't even bother trying to get out of Q3 because there's no point. Even if you end up on pole, you're going all the way to the back. And we've seen this happen many times. The only advantage at, at any point for that team that's a top <clears throat> team to go on and go through qualifying is to knock a competitor out of getting into Q3. Potentially. Like, if you could prevent somebody from going forward. But the problem you run into with something like that is that if you go to Q3, you lock them in on their qualifying tires. They don't make it out of Q2. They still get that choice. Correct. So that's not necessarily a better strategy. And It was just, I was spitballing. I'm throwing something out there. Yeah. But, yeah, it, there's no incentive in the current system to fight hard in qualifying to get your spot. And if you knew that you were walking into a race with a five-second penalty, how much more incentive does it have to push hard in qualifying to get the best track position possible so that you have the best possibility of making up that time during the race? Yeah. So Formula One has come out, and they have, on their, their fanboys page... They have said that they see that there are only two possible way forwards. Okay. Two potential ways. One, leave things just as they are. And the other would be penalty ballast. Okay, so why don't we explain to the listening audience what penalty ballast would look like. So what they would do is that if you turned around and got, say... You needed to replace your turbocharger as a result of this. You would still qualify in the same location. However, they would also add five kilograms to the weight of your car. So thereby your car is heavier and potentially slower. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, a full engine change. That'd be 15 kilograms. You know who's going to be required to be on the X-Lax and water diet? Well, th- if there, they do that, th- there is, well, that's one of the questions, because I think there, there is now minimum weights for the drivers. Mm-hmm. There's maximum weights also, but there's minimum weights for the drivers specifically to avoid that type of a scenario. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you first told me this, do you remember the image of, I think it was Fernando Alonso riding on the outside of someone's car. Uh, it might have been at Singapore. And if it wasn't Alonzo, it was like Vettel. Well, it's the one that they were showing. And no, it was actually, it was Alonzo driving Mark Webber around. And that was because uh, Mansell did it years and years and years ago. Okay. So that's the picture. Mm-hmm. And when you told me that they were considering penalty ballast, all I could think of is 
You get a Fernando Alonso on the side of your car. The engineer. You have to race engineer. You're clinging to the side of the car. Mm -hmm. You're race engineer. Um, So F1 says that that this would be calculated to give a similar end of race effect to the current grid penalties. Would be the, the idea behind this. That that's what they're saying, and and that this would be a simple solution. Because people barely understand it now. So they're going to understand this? But, it, but at least now, okay, if somebody gets a penalty, you can see right away what the effect of that penalty is. They go all the way to the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they may not be all the, way, all the way at the back because of when the penalty was incurred, but they go all the way to the back. So now, somebody gets a penalty, you're going, gee, why is the car so slow? Yeah. No. Yeah, it makes no sense. Renault's time penalties is makes better sense to me. It does. Like you can actually wrap your head around that one. So Carlos Sainz, he says it goes against what Formula One needs at the moment. You would make the opposite. Honda and Renault, if they keep taking penalties using four or five engines, would have slightly less performance than Ferrari already, plus twenty kilograms of ballast. I don't see a point. Yeah. He's right. I mean, so all you're doing is you're just... Magnifying the problem. Yeah. I, I, I bet Ferrari's all for it. I haven't heard anything from, from Ferrari. Um, they tend to like stupid ideas. I don't know. I don't think they would really go for this. So the other potential suggestion that has been thrown out by Formula One, and this one... They haven't said it, it, it's either this way or we're not doing anything. This is just a potential option. This actually, oh, I'm sorry, this is for 2021, not 2020. So because folks have been less than impressed with the idea of more standardized parts, you know, we, we want to see the, the design for even the engineering stuff. What Formula One has said is a potential possibility is to go the other direction. Throw the door open. Teams can use whatever parts they want, whatever designs that they want. Six-wheel tarrels. I don't know if they'd go that. I mean, I think they'd still keep the cars looking as much as, yes, no Brabham fan car, no six-wheel tarrels. Sorry. But what it would be is team comes up with the catalog of parts that they would use, and they have to publish it online and share for all to see. So that the teams could, so that all of the competitors could choose from everybody's selection of parts and designs what they actually want. So open sourcing, as they call it, open sourcing the parts design. No. <laughs> Let me tell you why this is a bad idea. Well, the the thought before you even get there. The thought is, and I, I think it's pretty slim, but the thought is, is that it would allow the teams to basically be pooling the knowledge around the design, um, reducing trial and development costs, and this would be a natural cap when it came to costs and development costs and, and capping the, the overriding push for performance. No. (laughs) Let me tell you why. Okay. Ferrari 
will release in the open source plan 14 different specs for a screw. Mm -hmm. 13 of them will make your car slower. And you don't know which one. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's, the, that's how the, the teams are going to leverage that one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put five different engine mm-hmm. concepts. They'll be done as iterations. They'll be done as enhancements. Yeah. And do you know whether or not they're using the split turbo or the full turbo or the turbo that blows it this way or blows it that way? And right. Yeah, it's not a great idea. However, that said, somebody who who admittedly does know a little bit more about this than us. There's somebody that knows more about it than we There do. is. Now, doesn't Slightly. mean I necessarily value his opinion after hearing what he has to say, but I will admit that he does know more about this than we do. Is Racing Point Technical Director Andy Green. Who? Racing Point Technical Director Andy Green. Who? He's important to the team. He's their technical director. He Have knows you more about ever this. heard him interviewed on Sky Channel 4 or any of the coverage that we have watched? That doesn't mean a whole lot. I don't care. He's not Adrian Newey. Okay, but he has more experience with this than we do. Doesn't mean we have, like I said, doesn't mean we have to agree with his opinion. Because we don't. But he knows more about this than we do. That's all I'm, that's all I'm saying. He's got more experience here than we do. But okay. I don't agree with his opinion. All right. But what his opinion is. He says, quote, I think it's a really good idea. Where teams publish their design on the FIA website and all teams can see what they're using and pick and choose the bits that they want to. We naturally tend to move towards one design. But an efficient design and a performant design, not the other way around heavier and non-performant. That's a better way of doing it. I hope they will expand on that. It drives you in the right direction from a cost perspective and a performance perspective. We're putting some very heavy things on the car in 2021. And he said that the plan could cover most of the elements that have been under consideration as standard parts, things like wheels, power steering systems, and the brake-by-wire systems. There are lots of little systems on the car that we could all collectively refine and all use the same system. Fuel systems are another one. Again, let's go back to... Nope. Super easy to game that system. Nope. Not a great plan, but he knows more than we do. That's all I'm saying. Don't agree with him. I question him knowing more than we do. With that statement, I have questions. I want to see his CV. I want to know how many races he has won and how long he's been in this business because I disagree. Okay. Reach out to Racing Point and get that info. Tell him you are challenging his expertise. I assure you. As a F1 pundit, you are officially (laughs) challenging his expertise. Go for it. Like challenging for chair in the the orchestra? Maybe. I could wind up with his job. Probably not. You never know. Probably not. Hey, let's talk about tires. I look good in pink. Hey, let's talk about tires. (laughs) (laughs) They might not be pink next year. You never know. It wouldn't mean I'd have to work with Stroll's son. There's that too. 
you'd have to work with Lance, whose hair is getting worse and worse. He really looks like he's trying to channel somebody like Peter Revson or some of these other 70s drivers with the crazy hair that's just all over the place that they forgot that they need to get it cut once in a while. I don't know. Lewis is rocking some long hair lately, too. I mean, it's pulled back in braids, but it's okay. the longest but, I've ever seen it. But the difference is, there's a, there's a key difference. You have Lewis, who, yes, he may have his hair longer this week than he hasn't in previous weeks. But Lewis gets his hair styled. Lewis does. Lance has looked like his normal hairstyle is took his helmet off, stuck his finger in a, in a light socket, and went and did interviews. That's Lance's hairstyle. Have you ever seen George Russell right after he takes his helmet off? Um, he, he tends to have, like, goggle or, or the, the outline around his eyes. Right, but his hair is perfect. Like, it does not move in that helmet. I don't know what he uses, but I want some. Okay. George Russell's kind of cool, but I also think he's part Kendall. <laughs> Just saying. Kind of part Kendall. <laughs> maybe that, I don't know if I'll, I'll be able to have that ready for this week, but maybe next week our image is going to be a split screen with George on one side and a Kendall on the other. <laughs> Which one's George? Which one is George? <laughs> I don't know. The tub picture definitely makes you wonder. <laughs> Twitter. You got to check <laughs> McLaren's Twitter feed. That's that's all you got to do. And um, just to be clear, as several pundits have, have already clarified, those are his hands. That's all I'm saying. Those are his hands. When you find a picture, you'll know what we're talking about. Anyway, Pirelli, tires. No. Yes. <laughs> This is the no-show, by the way. <laughs> that is apparently my only word for this show. All I was going to talk about is, you know, Pirelli continues to refine the compounds based on the the results from this year and trying to cut down on uh, the overheating that, that the drivers have dealt with before, trying to increase the oper- the temperature operating window, because that's been a concern this year, is trying to hit that window and, and get the tires to really switch on and perform, trying to, to get that sorted out. Well, they've apparently come up, and it's a secret, so we don't know this, but they have come out with an, a way to do some indoor testing at their Milan factory to help make sure that the compounds are doing what, what they're supposed to be doing. But it's a secret. We don't know. You don't know? I it's know. It's a secret. I know. Okay. It's called... Conveyor belt. Possibly. It's like a treadmill for tires. (laughs) Super secret. Yeah, but they're they gotta you you can't do rubber on rubber. It's gotta be asphalt and an asphalt conveyor. That that would be interesting (laughs) since asphalt's not known to be flexible. So that might not completely be it. I mean, it could be like a robotic arm that's running them around, and it's. I was going to say it's a I mean, pad but of it's a asphalt, secret. and the the movement is not the road moving; it's the tires moving across it, but it's going in a circle. Maybe kind of like a horse train, uh, horse exercise. But they, they need to simulate the dynamic forces. I mean, it's not just. A, 
it, it's not just Paulo running around with the tire on a stick. <laughs> run faster, run faster. <laughs> Do you remember the old... No, wait, you're breaking. Stop. <laughs> turn eight, turn eight. Um, do you remember the old BC comic? And they rode on the tire with the stick in the middle yeah, it of the it. The one guy who the one guy was, that rode yeah. on the wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 the the top secret <laughs> Milan factory <laughs> test track. Now there will be a real test, not secret. It'll be outside. It'll be at Barcelona. Because um, that track's so hard on tires. Actually, that is, and and that's what I don't Probably fully just understand. Re- Repaved it. Because they just repaved it. It's not... A, it used to be harder on the tires. But now that they repaved it, it's not. But that's where they're going on October 7th and 8th to do further testing with the compounds on the tires. Exactly. So I... Yeah, i not entirely sure how they ended up going there, but that's where they're going. And that, that was a recently approved test that was not originally scheduled. Pirelli requested it. And the FIA agreed to it, which meant they had to go and bring it to all the teams to vote, and it went up in front of the League of Super Evil and all that stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, slightly different, but in terms of further changes that should happen, Alex Verts. Yeah, we talked about him recently. We did, and, and it, it's because of the things that we spoke about him is why I thought it was worth mentioning this. Um, in light of the incidents at Monza with uh, the accident with the sausage curb, um, he has come out and said that Formula One tracks need to seek better ways of blending asphalt runoffs and gravel traps at different parts of the corners um, so that they can eliminate more of these the, the sausage curbs and the risk that they present. One of the things that he talks about is that he thinks that um, instead of fully paving over the gravel runoffs, like as like what's happened in the past, they need to be selective about how they do the paving, and it needs to be a mix of it. Mm. So one of the things that he says is, you know, one of the areas that drivers are most likely to run off and it doesn't matter whether you're on a motorcycle or whether or not you're in a car the area that you that drivers tend to be most prone to to run off in is at the entrance to the corners okay they come in too hot they go wide they do the runoff there so pave that area however deeper into the corner where the driver should have a chance to recover you put a gravel trap in there he says when you look at it that way and you approach it that way, if you remember back, what was it, three years ago, Fernando Alonso's crash in Melbourne mm-hmm. where he, he went flipping through the air. He said if that area was paved, he wouldn't have launched the car. But if you do it deeper in, you still discourage going outside the lines, but you make it safer because at the faster parts of the corner, that's where the asphalt is, not the gravel. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. And again, since he thinks about, you know, he's designing tracks and he's designing tracks for multiple uses um, and oh, so that they can be, you know, functional businesses. Profitable. Profitable. um, I I think it makes a whole lot of sense what he's saying. And he probably has a a clue. You see, here's the thing. I've Uh seen his CV. Mm-hmm. I know who this guy is. 
He has knowledge. He's applying it and speaking about something he knows something about. I will agree with Alex Fertz. This green over at Racing Point, who I've never heard of before, I need to see a CV. Now, what he also acknowledges is that this makes sense more for Formula One tracks than it does for some of the other tracks. Mm -hmm. One of the things that he points, he says, you know, there's no easy, there's not a perfect solution. You got to figure out at at what point it makes sense to, to make that cut over. But it can be done. He says 80% of the tracks out there, there's too much asphalt. But he also turns around and says, if you think of it from, as, as a track operator for everyday business, asphalt runoffs are terrific. You want those things. He says, if you have a Porsche club and the amateur spins off, he doesn't damage his car in gravel and you don't have a half hour of a red flag until you get someone out. He says, but that's where you as a track, as an F1 track operator and as F1 have to make a decision as to what makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's, that's definitely the problem. And it's not like you could convert a gravel trap to an asphalt trap, an asphalt piece. Like, okay, the local Porsche club's coming out. Let's pull yeah. the tarp over all the gravel traps and make them stable so they can run off because they're not very good it, it it's not like converting the baseball field for football exactly so in other news driver shuffling is starting to happen or not happen well that too um in a move that i, I don't think has been a huge surprise and as much as we wanted robert to come into formula one and we thought this story was fantastic and we were rooting for him let's face it robert kubica has not really performed and as a result he will not be returning to formula one definitely not he has lost his seat at williams and will not be returning to formula one in 2020 now i do feel that it is important to point out that while yes i don't think that he is driving at the level he drove eight years ago Mm mm-hmm the fact that he was able to even get back behind the wheel of a Formula One car, pretty impressive. It is. It, it, I mean, his, his story is impressive all around. Um, we were really hoping for the best for him. Mm-hmm. And honestly, what I don't fully know, I, I mean, some of it is clearly the performance of the car is just not there. But George Russell's been handing him his lunch. That's that's the issue, is but he's not beating his teammate at the, all. The one point, well, that's not really true, because the, the one, one point, point that Williams has this year, Robert got. Mm-hmm. But he's been out-qualified 100% of the time by mm-hmm. his teammate. Yeah. So. But uh, we don't know who is going to be taking his seat. Um, there have been rumors floating around that Robert may be making the shift over to DTM, um, which, okay, that's probably a decent option. He's, he's got some experience in DTM. I don't think he's somebody who should truly, fully fade away from racing. There's still talent there. I was going to say, it's um, just a matter of finding the racing that suits his current set of needs. Yeah. Um, because he's he's definitely got talent. I mean... I'm sorry, he's driven more, post-accident, he's driven more Formula One races than I have. Now, we also have confirmation that George Russell is staying at Williams. 
Kinder. So you'll get that. Um, but the other bit of move, well, non-movement here, and in a way, I wasn't all that surprised. You called it. I, I was definitely pro-Hulk going to Haas. Oh, I would have loved it if it happened. But, but you just, called it, and I think your explanation is the best of it. So I'll let you explain what they say is the reason why Roman is staying at Haas and what the the bloke in the bird truth is. Yeah, so uh, as Trisha mentioned, Roman Grosjean will be remaining for uh, remaining with Haas for yet another year, partnered alongside Kevin Magnuson, who had a contract already. Um, according to Gunther Stein, what he says. It was a close call because they are both very good drivers and I hope Nico stays in F1. I like him and he's a good driver, but in the end we decide to stay with Roman. He is with the team for four years. We know his highs and his lows. We know on a good day he's a very good driver. He knows the team very well. The biggest reason is our car this year is not performing as we want it to perform, which in the end has nothing to do with the drivers we've got at the moment. It's the car. We're very conscious about that. Changing the driver now. I don't know if it would help us make the car better. It could, but it also could not, because the new guy wouldn't know where we start off. Roman was a big part of getting the understanding of why we are wrong with the car at the moment. He was a big help, and we don't want to have any more unknown or risks. So, in short... I've got one word I'm thinking of. Starts with B. Ends with T. T. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm not buying that explanation at all. I, I'm really not. I mean, he, he points out the, the biggest issue with Roman in his answer. And it's been an ongoing thing with Roman is that he has not been consistent. Yes, when he is on... He is fantastic, and he is a great driver, and he is promising, and he seems like a really nice guy. Yes, I've just given him the kiss of death. He seems like a really nice guy, but he's not consistent. Mm-hmm. And if anything, his lows have been have been getting lower. And his highs are not getting as high. As high. Yeah. I mean, Haas owes a lot to Roman Grosjean. Let's, you cannot deny that. For Haas to have enjoyed the level of success and performance that they have, in lo- especially those first two years, that is really because of Roman. Mm-hmm. He really he has delivered for the team in the past. The last two years he has not though, and he's been off more often than he's been on. But I think the real reason that they decided, and, and we've mentioned this before, but I think the real reason that they decided not to bring over Nico Hulkenberg, because he's got every bit as much, if not more, experience than Roman Grosjean. And I have no doubt he can develop a car just as well as Roman, if not better. Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnuson don't get along. Right. We've seen it, and I've mentioned this before. We've seen this over previous years. And I think it's more the fact that Haas doesn't want to have to manage the potential drama of those two at each other's throats. They had a hard enough time this year trying to keep Roman and and Kevin from crashing into each other, and they really haven't been all that successful at it. It's 
I, I think they're concerned that it, that it's going to be that much worse if you bring Nico Hulkenberg in. That's why I think, and, and as much as I don't think they'll ever say it, mm-hmm. that's that's what what I think was really the underlying reason. And I think that you're right. You called it. I thought that they would they would force the issue, but I'm betting that K Mag himself probably had a bigger influence in whether or not Hulkenberg got brought over. I think so. I, it, w- whether or not it was direct is another thing, but the fact that that Kevin isn't going anywhere, mm-hmm. one way or the other, had an impact. Yep. And that's not to say that Roman and, and Kevin are friends. We, we've heard that, you know, they tolerate each other, but they're also not trying to, you know, find ways to, to kill each other on a regular basis. Truth. They're not in the media playing mind games with each other. Exactly. Or cursing each other off, and as Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnuson have done. Exactly. So, yeah. So then the question is, well, what next possibly for Nico? Well, there was some rumbling that maybe uh, he was a contender for the uh, alpha seat, specifically Antonio Giovinazzi's seat. Um, and Matteo Bonotto has said that, nope, Ferrari has confidence in him, and they are backing him to remain at Alpha as opposed to being replaced by somebody else. Okay. So it seems like Alpha is not an option unless Kimmy decides that he doesn't want to drive anymore, which I don't see that happening. I think he's going to get forced out. Ever. The doctor's going to turn around and say, okay, in order for you to keep driving, you need to have the team design the colostomy bag so that you can, yeah. Which I don't Kimmy, think the team will do. Kimmy is already a world champion, but I think the next record he's going for is oldest ever driver. Could be. Could be. So that door's closed. Maybe he could go to Williams. I've been wondering if Williams would pick him up. I, I, I mean, don't... he's an experienced driver. He's very good. Mm-hmm. And he's probably pretty cheap right now. Well, that's one of the other things that I don't know. So, and, and I heard this on Sky. I did not hear this. I don't think it was BBC that mentioned it. I'm pretty sure it was Sky that had mentioned it. Is that Nico comes with some level of financial demands that potentially were higher, especially given the sponsorship situation over at Haas, was potentially higher than they were willing to accept. Mm. Okay. So that may have had something to do with it. I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of money Nico brings. Um, we do know he's got the sponsorship with Decra, which is a German company of some sort, but he's he, he brings some level of money from that. How big that is, I don't know. But, yeah. Okay. So this past weekend, Singapore Grand Prix and the penalties were flying. Oh, yeah. Um, the first, and didn't really hear about this in the Sky coverage. Now, it may have been in the expanded coverage, but in the States, you know, ESPN doesn't believe that we deserve that. Um, we can't have nice things. Mercedes got fined, and specifically it was um, Lewis Hamilton's side of the garage over at Mercedes. Got fined 5,000 euros um, they were referred to the stewards at the Grand Prix for having broken technical regulations around fuel. 
So a notification from F1 technical director Joe Bauer after free practice one said that the fuel Lewis planned to use was cooler than allowed under the rules. Yes, the fuel temperature. So the notification said the temperature of the fuel intended for immediate use in car number 44 measured at 1744 with FIA approved and sealed sensor was more than 11 degrees centigrade below the ambient temperature recorded by the FIA appointed weather service provider one hour before the first practice session. This not being in compliance with Article 652 of the 2019 Formula One technical regulations. And Toto whipped out his wallet and handed them 5,000 euros and went on about his merry way. No, I'm pretty sure he put it on his hammock so he could get the points. Possible. <laughs> Possible. Yeah. He said, that's it? Okay, cool. Done. Exactly. <laughs> um, but the other thing, and, and again, really frustrated at the fact that ESPN does not give us enough coverage here. Because we heard referred to multiple times during the Sky coverage that something happened to Daniel Ricciardo. And as a result, he started from the back of the grid. But nobody ever elaborated on why. Other than disqualified. Yeah. So what happened was in uh, free practice. No, not in free practice. In Q1... Um, the monitoring, monitoring system for the output of the MGUK in Q1 registered that um, his car had exceeded the MGUK power unit of 120 kilowatts. Now, Renault made it clear that this power spike created an advantage of just one microsecond. Oh, my. That is a millionth of a second. Yes, he got an advantage for a millionth of a second. However, it was not on his fastest lap of the session. But they still disqualified him. But they disqualified him because of the technical issue that for that one microsecond, he exceeded the required power output. Whoa. That would be why Sky, went when they went and spoke with Daniel, he gave the answers that he did. Was because, well, yeah, we were in violation. No, we didn't actually gain anything from that violation. It didn't happen again. Mm-hmm. But this is this is the, the card we've been handed. According to Renault, um, it was a curb strike that caused it to happen. Oh. Which, interestingly enough, if you think about it, this is now the second race in a row, that a team has gotten a penalty due to a mechanical issue caused by a curb strike. Remember, Max had had an issue with a curb strike that um, it put down too much power to the wheels, which ratcheted his power back because it thought he was using traction control. Correct. And now we have an MGUK power issue due to a curb strike. Interesting. Curbs, bad. Apparently. Um, so the race. Yes. What'd you think? I was actually bored. I, it depends on what you were following. This is where I'll say it depends. If you were only following what was going on in the lead, it was not all that exciting. But it's Singapore. Yeah. Um, 
in the back of the grid, which is where the cameras actually spent quite a bit of time, there was a lot going on. And for a track that is, you know, everyone talks about how hard it is to pass and how difficult it is to pass. And, and we certainly saw that for the folks at the front. Um, the folks in the middle were doing a whole lot of passing. There, there was significant passing. There, there were some really great moves that happened in that mid-pack again. The mid-pack's where the race is actually happening. It is, and it has been for a couple of years. That's where things have been going on. Um, but over at the lead, you know, there was the odd undercut that happened where Ferrari allowed Vettel to undercut Leclerc. And we don't have the full details on why the call was made the way it was. Although Mattia Bonotto has said that when they did that, they didn't realize that the undercut was as strong as it was. It ended up being about three and a half seconds, which is not what they expected it to be mm. because they were under the impression. Their plan initially was that they were going to pit Charles right after they pit Seb. <clears throat> but Seb came up with that three and a half seconds that they weren't expecting. And that's what caused them to swap the positions like that. Oh. Now, Ferrari has said that they considered swapping the two to put Leclerc back in the front, but they decided not to do that. No, because Leclerc's not their number one <clears throat> driver. Well, I... All, all Mattia Benotto will say is that he understands Charles that Charles is a bit disappointed. He was trying his best to win the race, and he did whatever he could do to win the race. Did we consider a swap? Yes, we did. I think we thought it was the right choice not to do it. We will still discuss with the drivers whether it was the right choice or not. Initially, we may still have a different opinion. We thought about it, but we didn't do it. Which, I think just the fact that Ferrari thought about it, it, that's a major milestone here. I mean, they're growing as a team. (laughs) Normally, it would have been like, you're the number two driver. Sorry, you're staying back there. Number one, you got it. So, you know, I, I think they're growing as a team here. I think that the reason they dismissed it was not the one-two. I think that they decided that Vettel's ego really needed this win because he had, so much had been made of how bad he was doing. Well, technically, uh, according to the contract, he's still the number one driver. See? They have not announced a switch, so, you know, they, they did that. Yeah. I don't know. I, but the, the big, the real shock, and it really was. And I never would have expected Ferrari to be anywhere close. I would have figured that, you know, and, and actually I think I predicted the best that they would get is a third out of this. Mm. I was thinking third and fourth because, again, they do good in the power, but on these high downforce tracks, they have not traditionally done well. And even going into the weekend, while they knew that there was this upgrade coming, None of the drivers thought that they were going to get this kind of performance out of it. Got a little more information as to what was done. So they started with a new floor, a new diffuser, and a rear wing with the most obvious part at the front of the car. And this is where they talked a little bit about it in the sky coverage. But at least, again, what we got in the States, they didn't get too detailed. And from the angle, it was hard to see exactly what they were talking about. Um, They added basically what could best be described as nostrils to the nose to draw inwards along a cape section fitted to the underside. 
and that's what you kind of saw in the picture that that um, Sky had showed. Is you kind of saw that that cape section, but basically they they've put tunnels from the nose under that little point that they have to direct air into this cape. Um, this is actually something that Mercedes was the first to start doing. A um, number of other teams have tried it in efforts to increase the overall front-end downforce. It's the first that Ferrari has done it. Um, the inclination of the nostril's leading edge forces airflow passing underneath to take a longer path to match the airspeed above, which creates a lower pressure area to limit, eliminate or to at least limit the effects of lift on the nose. So it helps hold that nose down, creates more downforce for them. Okay. Um, in addition, the cape is also shaped to link up with the barge boards farther down the car. And as a result, the front wing mounting pylons have changed, which loses a bunch of the slots that they have had in the past on there. Um, there's less control over the airflow there, but the cape section offers different options in managing the air moving underneath the chassis bulkhead. So it gives them a, a bit more control over how that air moves under the car, and they apparently found the secret recipe as to how to control it and make it work. Um, the question I have now is, okay, that worked great here. Mm -hmm. I assume they're going to take it off and go back to something closer to the Monza spec for Russia next week because right. that is a straighter track that that that's more of a speed track and less downforce but i'm guessing we're gonna see it again probably for japan hmm be interesting but i would guess that even whether they run this or not the car's probably gonna be right up there for for russia mm -hmm. because of the nature of the track it's japan i think that's gonna be the next question be interesting um now, Mercedes, on the other hand, they say that they got it wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and they're, they're really annoyed. And this is the second race now that they've said, hey, we've got it wrong. Said the same thing coming out of Monza where they said, well, you know, we were running too much downforce, which, okay, you're at Monza. You should have known how that works. Right. Now they're saying they got it wrong again. Um, a lot of it, and, and obviously because of the pit stop strategy with Lewis. That was weird. I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of understood what the, maybe they were trying to do, with hoping that the traffic would back them up. I can't really believe that with the experience that they have on that strategy team, that they really thought that that was going to work. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get the hope, but really? I know. That's what you were betting on? It was weird. I thought that they were really betting on a safety car that never appeared until they absolutely had to pit. I think that that was what they were really hoping for, was to leave him out there long enough to get that safety car. Yeah. And he also acknowledged, Toto Wolff acknowledges that the team underestimated the undercut, which, just like Ferrari, didn't quite see how that was going to, but still, I don't know. Yeah. Um, another penalty, which we didn't hear about. Antonio Giovinazzi got himself a penalty after the first safety car period because he was too close to the rescue crane. Okay. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, well, it, it was. Um, everybody agreed that his speed was appropriate. He was meeting the, the required speed for the safety car period. But um, 
according to Michael Mossy and his stewards, um, the race director instructed all the cars to stay to the right at the of the incident at turn eight because of everyone on the track and working this. Um, the stewards on site felt that he was too close. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that he didn't stay over far enough. That's what resulted in the penalty. He got a 10-second penalty, which didn't impact really where he was because he was 17.6 seconds ahead of Roman in 11th. Okay. He still finished in 10th, but he got 10 seconds. Hey, speaking of, of Haas, Kevin Magnuson, and all of a sudden everything disappearing and the assumption that it was his tires. Well, no, actually, um, during one of the safety car periods, uh, it was in the final safety car period, a plastic bag got stuck in the front wing and the left side of his front wing, which ruined the aerodynamics of his front wing, which is why he lost so much time. So that's why he was called in, so that they could pull the bag out, and that's why they figured, all right, you're in, we're going to go and change the tires. They put them on the soft tires. Got it. But it was a plastic bag. It was a sandwich bag. All right, so I think that, you know, we've got a 100% safety car record at Singapore. Mm -hmm. We also have quite a high percentage of weird things on track record at Singapore. We've had Godzilla. Yeah. We've had... Fans. Man on track. Mm -hmm. We've had trash before, because there was trash previous. Yeah. And now we have a sandwich bag. Yeah. Weird things on track. Singapore. Haven't we also had um, marshals running across the track? Yes. Or was that Russia? I thought that was Singapore also that had the marshal run across the track. Probably was here too. Wouldn't surprise me. The man on the track, I think, wins the award for the weird thing on the track, but Godzilla yeah. was kind of up there, too. <laughs> and our last story. So, some folks, I don't One know or who, two. Yeah, at least a few, are questioning as to whether or not Zandvoort is moving quick enough with their projects to prep the track for F1 um, and will actually be ready to host the race in May. However, the head of the race, Jan Lammers, is adamant the track will be ready. He says, yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, um, but they're working on it. Um, end of September, you'll see a lot of action going on at the track, and the beginning of October, it'll continue. So before Christmas happens, a lot of the needed work will need to be done. He says the plans are ready, and from an architectural point of view, it's something that their partners can easily carry out for, with their expertise. And he denies rumors of possible delays to the work. He says, this is just the Dutch media. It's fake news. You did not go there. Maybe it's deep state, but it's fake news. They, they, they will be ready, and the Dutch people, they have nothing to worry about, and it's just that the Dutch media likes throwing stones at the track. And they need to stop picking on a track because they'll be ready. Fake news. Deep state. And on that, <laughs> we're going to call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs> okay.
Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.